0: winning recording, recording artist Jason Crabb will be here with us. Tickets are available online at GreerChurch.com, and we invite you to be buying those tickets. And also that Sunday morning, <clears throat> the last Sunday of April, we'll have one combined service that day and it will be at 10 o'clock in the morning. And a very, very dear friend of mine uh, who had his own struggle and fight with uh, cancer uh, will be here, uh, Reverend Dr. James Herbert Nates, who was my boss for, uh, f- for about four years. And I tell people that on my best day in ministry, I'm trying my best to imitate Jim Nates. So um, that ought to make you curious to come see uh, uh, what kind of man this is who I would uh, say that about and would be such an influential person in my life. He also was a marathon runner, by the way, and he got penny running, and he didn't have that luck with me. <clears throat> Not at all. Let me um, also bring you up to date some good news on uh, our friend John Jameson. Let me tell you a story, and then you can decide how he's doing. <clears throat> I went up there on Thursday afternoon when he's released from the uh, therapy session, the physical and occupational therapy, um, there at the Roger Peace Center. and. Uh, John was watching the news, and he was mildly agitated as he was looking at the news, and he said, that really bugs me. He said, I got on the phone this morning, and I talked to Lindsey Graham about it. I said, welcome back, John. So uh, I said, you're in the hospital. Give it a rest. No, I can't give it a rest. So he's back, and uh, we hope to get him home, what, this week, right, John? John? And hopefully within a month or so, we'll have him back here in the choir. He's made a wonderful, wonderful uh, recovery, and we thank you for your prayers uh, for him and all the other folks that you remember who need us in their times of illness. Uh, okay, other announcements there? hope you read as you have an opportunity to. Um, again, good to have all our visitors, and let, let us now worship the Lord. Oh, Thank you, musical interlude. Mike, you have an... uh, Or just what you told me? Okay, my fault. Council on Ministries is listed in the bulletin for today. It is actually next Sunday afternoon, so Council on Ministries is next Sunday. That's it. Okay. of faith is the Apostles' Creed. It is on page 881 of your hymnal, if you need to turn to that page. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born
1: of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
0: Be seated, please. Kevin and Robbie swapped, so at this time we invite the children to come forward to join Robbie Septon for a few moments of sharing.
2: Before we get started with our lesson, how old are you? You're seven? How old are you? You're eight? Eight. Guess what? All of us put together are still younger than Arthur is today. <laughs> He's old. He turned 60 years old this morning. So make sure you give Arthur a big hug and tell him happy birthday when we finish, okay? Does everybody know what this is? That's right, has anybody ever been fishing? Did you catch anything? What'd you catch? Fish, good answer. Good answer.
0: Good answer.
2: Do you like to go fishing? Just when they're biting, sometimes? My wife likes to go fishing, but it has to be between 68 degrees and 72 degrees and they have to bite every cast. If they do that, she loves to fish. Me and Mr. Jeter way back there in the back, we'll go fishing when it's 30 degrees outside and don't catch anything. We love to go fishing. But I'll tell you a story. If, if we went fishing and we just tied a string to a stick and we went out there, how do you think we would do? Probably not too good. We have to have the equipment, right? We have to have the top-notch equipment, stay sharp on our skills. What if we just sat around and talked about fishing and watched fishing on TV? You think we would get good at fishing? What do we have to do? That's right, we have to go out there and practice. What about old people? Can really old people fish and can really young people fish? I mean, we all pretty much can put it in the water, right? So it doesn't really matter how old we are, but we do have to stay sharp on our skills and we have to be patient. We have to go out there and wait even when they're not biting on the first cast. We have to still be willing to sit out and wait. I'm going to read you a story from, from the Bible today. This comes out of Matthew. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. What do you think that means to fish for people? Any ideas? Well, as Christians, it's part of our responsibility to bring other people to God. So when we go out, he's taught us how to go out and catch other people and bring them in, bring them to church and bring them to maybe some of your fun activities Miss Katie's got planned for you. And and, uh, he gives us these tools. But just like when we're fishing, we've got to have the equipment. And our equipment to fish for people is right here. But we've got to stay sharp on it. And like we said, we couldn't just sit around and watch TV and talk about fishing, we can't just sit around and talk about being fishermen for people. We've got to go out there. But sometimes we might meet somebody who just doesn't want to set that hook, don't want to bite all the way down on the first time. So we've got to have some patience. So we've got to be willing to go out, we've got to be willing to stay sharp on our skills, and we've got to have a little bit of patience. But I think if we do all those things we can be good fishermen of people just like we're fishermen of fish. And it doesn't take anybody too old, too young, or there's no perfect age. It doesn't matter if you're really fast. It doesn't matter if you're really strong. Everyone can be fishermen of people. Okay? So let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, help us to remember our skills so that we may go out and be fishermen of people and bring them into your will. Amen.
0: Testament lesson is Joshua 5 9 through 12. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while encamped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after. They ate the food from, try that again. The manna stopped the day after they ate the food from the land. There was no longer any manna from heaven for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Here ends the lesson. In the mid-1980s, it was my privilege to be the pastor of a very dear lady named Mary Rose, and today it is my privilege to baptize her great-granddaughter. Uh, Mary's no longer with us, but she lives on in her family, and so I invite the family to come now, uh, to, and others who wish to stand with the family as we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. I invite you to turn to page 44 in your hymnal to make a response in a few moments. Uh, Your commitment to uh, Emma Rose. Dearly beloved, baptism is an outward and visible sign of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which grace we become partakers of his righteousness and heirs of eternal life. Those receiving the sacrament are thereby marked as Christian disciples. And initiated into the fellowship of Christ's holy church. Our Lord has expressly given to little children a place among the people of God. Which holy privilege must not be denied them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Beloved, do you in presenting this child for holy baptism. Confess your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If so, will you say, we do? Do you therefore accept as your bounden duty and privilege to live before this child a life that becomes the gospel, to exercise all godly care, that she be brought up in the Christian faith, that she be taught the holy scriptures, and that she learn to give reverent attendance upon the private and public worship of God? If so, will you say we do? Will you endeavor to keep this child under the ministry and guidance of the church until she, by the power of God, shall accept for herself the gift of salvation, and be confirmed as a full and responsible member of Christ's Holy Church. If so, you say, we will. Our epistle lesson is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here ends the lesson. Our prayer of confession is printed there in your bulletin. I invite you to join me as we begin our time in prayer together. Let us pray. We confess to you, all knowing God, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit, even to ourselves, what lies in the depths of our souls but we cannot hide our true selves from you. You know us as we are, and yet you love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to respect ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask you to break their bondage and set them free. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Lord, it is good to know of your love for us and that you are about the work of reconciling people to yourself. We're thankful that you always have been about the work of reconciling your children to yourself from the very earliest humans. And we see in the development of your Old Testament, your first community of faith, the way that you work to reconcile those people to yourselves to yourself by your gift of the commandments and your sending of the prophet uh, to speak to them. And so we are thankful Lord that, that we follow one who is about that work of embracing your children and bringing them home. We are supremely thankful for the work of Jesus who broke a lot of conventional rules in order to reach out to those who had fallen by the wayside to sons who had strayed far away to a distant land and had squandered the reputation of the community, and yet that prodigal one was welcomed home. For others who had been obviously people who had turned away from your close will and way, Jesus welcomed back into the fold, and we're grateful for this. Some of us haven't strayed very far, but some of us have. And so, Lord, whether we have strayed an inch or a mile, we're grateful that you are a reconciling, forgiving, loving, heavenly parent. And we're thankful, too, that you have given to us and continued in us the work of Jesus, the ministry of reconciling the world to yourself and people to one another, Sometimes it seems like that task is an impossibility because war and killing is the norm in our day. And even in our own communities, people are hurting one another rather than helping one another. We ask your help, O God, to be ministers of reconciliation so that in our community and around the world, people may learn the value of living together in a community of faith and love and caring, aware that there is one God who loves us all, who sees all of us as your very dear children. We give you thanks for this. Increase our faith. Sharpen our vision. Give us your love. For our brothers and sisters. Lord, we also are mindful of people of this community of faith who need your love and care in special ways this day. We especially remember those who are recovering from illness, for those who are ex- experiencing grief and loneliness in their lives, for those who are going through times of discouragement, those who are looking for jobs. All these, our friends, we bring to you O lord asking for your encouragement and your blessing this day for we pray in the name of jesus who taught us to pray saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us at this time worship God by giving. Mm Today's gospel lesson will be read from a translation from uh, two boys, Todd and Jed Hafer, who are preacher's kids who have authored two books, or a bunch of books, but two in a series. One of them called Snickers from the Front Pew and the other Mischief from the Back Pew. Oh, Carolinda, what would happen if Charles and John started writing stories about you and John, your ministry? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, worried about my two kids. <laughs> but uh, here now, the prodigal son story, as recorded by their dad, called the prodigal son in the key of F. Feeling footloose, frisky, and fancy free, a frivolous, feather-brained fellow forced his fond, fawning father. To fork over a fair share of the family farthings. Then the, fl- the flighty flibberty jizzet fade farewell and fled far to a foreign field where he frittered his fabulous fortune, feasting famously among faithless fair weathered friends until fleeced by his fun loving fellows in folly, he found himself a feed flinger in a festering filthy farmyard. Flummoxed, famished, filled with foreboding and fairly facing famine. The frazzled fugitive found his faculties and returned to his father's farm. Father, father, he forlornly fumbled. I flunked, flubbed, failed, and frivolously forfeited family favor. Phooey on me. Let me be as one of your flunkies, for even a fruitless flunky would fare far, far better than I have fared. Fair enough. Filial fidelity is fine, the father philosophized, but folks, The fugitive is found. Let fanfares flare. Let flags unfurl. Fetch the fatling. Play that funky music. And let's have some fun. Unfortunately, older brother Frank was unforgiving. Father, he fumed furiously. Forsooth from this folly. Frankly, it's unfair that fool forfeited his fortune. Frank, 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 the father confronted don't let fear, don't fear nor fester. I'm your fan. Your coffers are fairly filled overflowing with 40 million farthings, but your phantom brother is finally and fortuitously back in the fold. For many fortnights, I fantasized about this fabulous infested feast, so focus on the fun, not funds, or flake off, Frankie. So a fathead, foolish fugitive found fulfillment. Furthermore, the father's fond forgiveness formed the foundation for the former fugitive's future welfare. For the faithful father loves forever. We are finally finished. Here ends the lesson. I wanna thank you folks who have contributed in recent days to my collection of joke books. In recent days, I've received the world's greatest collection of church jokes. Holy humor, more holy humor, uh, the best of good, clean jokes, plus these uh, recent additions from the Hafer boys. You can, uh, you can think about these different gifts that I've received, and it just might be that you folks are trying to tell me something about the staleness of the jokes I usually use in my sermons. Um, nowadays, you can buy encyclopedias and handbooks, on most any subjects, including jokes. But there are other other handbooks you can purchase, like the Handbook of Denominations, which tells you all about the different churches, or a handbook on world religions. I even have seen the Handbook on Footwear, which is pretty cool. I saw another book entitled How to Survive Your Elementary School-Age Child. Someone has said that there is indeed proof of God's loving providence Because God gives us 12 years to learn to like our kids before they are turned into teenagers. There is something to be said for that. Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians um, something that makes me think about a different handbook. He says that not only has God reconciled himself to us through Christ, but he has given something to us, entrusted into our hands his ministry of reconciliation to take to the world. Our task is telling others about our reconciling father. Ours is the task of trying to get people to get along in life in this world, to live as reconciled people. What an awesome task. We really need a handbook, a reconciler's handbook, to help us know how to go about our task. So today I want us to begin writing our handbook on reconciliation. The first thing that Paul tells us about in the 2 Corinthians passage we read a few minutes ago is that in order to be reconcilers, we must learn to look at people through God's eyes. Have you ever noticed that we look out at the world through the prism of our own life's experiences? Once you have a child... I dare you to ever look at the world the same way as before you were a father or mother. Every question from then on is somehow related to that child. How will this affect my child? Once you have experienced a personal loss through death, you'll look at life differently also. You'll really be able to sympathize with people who are experiencing grief in ways you never were able to before. Once you experience God's grace in your life, you can understand how important it is for others to also experience that wonderful, loving grace of God. And you begin to understand that God feels about everybody the same way he has shown you that he feels about you. That's how we're supposed to see our neighbors, in the same light that God views them as his children who need his love and grace and care. Paul states that we reconcilers aren't supposed to judge people along purely human lines by human standards, but rather to judge them, to view them as God does. That's a real tall order, isn't it? I had a very, very delightful grandmother I only knew one of my grandparents uh, on my mother's side. And my delightful grandmother lived with us, and that was uh, your former pastor, Joel Cannon's mother. Um, She used to embarrass the daylights out of me because she was a very outspoken woman, not opinionated, but just outspoken. And we would be out together, like sitting in a car outside of a grocery store, waiting on my mother to get some milk or something, and someone would walk by who was, as we say, gravitationally challenged, slightly overweight, and my dear grandmother would say, law me, would you just look at that fat mortal? Well, I would dive under the seat because I just knew that fat mortal was going to come over and whip us both, you know. But, uh, but well, that's how we look at each other, isn't it? We, we judge by outside human standards Just when I think that I'm making progress in learning to see people through God's eyes, something happens to wake me up to the fact that I got a long way to go. Last fall, we made a trip to New York City when we were moving our daughter. And uh, New York just probably is the most international city I've ever been in. I don't know of any other cities quite like it. Maybe Disney World comes close. But there was something about our visit to New York that I found a bit unsettling. We went up on top of the Empire State Building where we were surrounded by people of every nationality and race. I really felt like I was up on the Tower of Babel. We Holtz were the only ones speaking English. I heard lots of German accents and I heard lots of French being spoken and people didn't always smell as fresh as my family uh, smelled. I saw some people wearing jewelry. Rings in places that rings were never intended to be worn. So there I was up on top of the Empire State Building and I prayed a little prayer. Lord, there's some mighty strange people around here. And God answered my prayer and said to me, you all look the same to me. I don't see any differences. Bette Midler sang a song a few years ago that expressed this thought so very well. She was talking about how we see things from different perspectives and that helps us at times. And and In art, the perspective of distance is somehow helpful to us. She says that, you know, from the distance, the perspective that we have from some distance, it really does look like the sky and the ocean come together and you see that every time you're at the beach she goes on to say from a distance you look like my friend even though we are at war from a distance I just can't comprehend what all this fighting is for God is watching us God is watching us from a distance meaning that he sees us with our common commonality more than he sees our differences We who are reconcilers need to join God in seeing people from that distance. Paul even says that there was a time when people judged Jesus by human external standards. You know, Jesus didn't wash his hands the way that the Bible told him he was supposed to wash his hands. I doubt you do either. Jesus didn't keep himself apart from sinful people. Like the Bible at places says we're supposed to, instead he went to those sinners and outcasts and fellowshiped with foreigners, broke all the rules of his society. Paul says, but we don't judge Jesus by those purely human standards anymore. Now that he's dead and raised back to life from the dead, what do those things matter now? He died and lives again. God raised Jesus up from death. Who cares about hand-washing now or about Jesus' eating habits? What do they matter? Similarly, now that Christ has died for everyone, what does it really matter that, uh, what mistakes a person has made in their past? What matters now is what that person may become from the day on in Christ. And that's the second chapter of our Reconciler's Handbook, Reconcilers see possibilities, not the past. Reconcilers really believe if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You do realize, of course, that God's action of creating the world isn't finished. Creation of the world isn't something that happened millions of years ago. It's happening outside right now. It didn't end when God created the first man and first woman. God is still creating life. Every time a baby is born, a new act of creation has occurred. They say that the earthquake in Chile caused the earth to speed up its spin just a little bit. That's right. The earth now spins a millionth of a second faster. Which means that our days are a millionth of a second shorter than they used to be. I hope you set your watches. You know, in a million days, that's about 2,700 years, our day will be a whole second shorter thanks to the earthquake. Uh, So maybe you've got a little time before you set your watch. Uh, Don't lose any sleep, right? But the point is, God created and he is still creating Every new day is a new creation. There are stars being born in the heavens every day at some distances from us. Every new day is a new creation. Every time a person experiences God's grace and begins to change, God's new act of creation is happening. We were at a minister's conference one time and an old and dear friend was going to all of us, his friends pastor friends with a particular blessing and he got to me and he said Arthur I've been praying for you that you will become all that God dreamed you might be the first time he thought about creating you well that prayer hadn't been answered and probably won't be answered in this lifetime but perhaps in eternity it will be often we hear This statement on advertisements as we buy stocks, past performance is not indicative of future results. While that's true of stocks, it's even more true of new creations in Christ Jesus. Reconcilers cannot afford to look at a person's past performance as a predictor of their future. We have to believe that people can and will change. Reconcilers see possibilities, not the past. The third chapter in our book will be entitled, Reconcilers Live Lives That Do Not Offend the Cause of Christ. We are called to be Christ's ambassadors. The church is an embassy of the kingdom of God, and we ambassadors are to reflect the values and attitudes of our homeland, heaven like it or not someone is always watching us to see if there's harmony between what we say we believe and how we live they're especially watching us to see that if to see if we are as gracious and as generous and as loving as they expect followers of Jesus to be one of the problems in our world today is that the body of Christ is so fractured and divided And that because of this, it's hard for us to look at any one pattern of a Christian and say, that's what we all ought to look like. It's just not possible. you got your your Amish people, and and I don't think we would all look good dressed like Amish with a beard, although maybe. I don't know about that. But uh, anyway, it's hard to say this is what a Christian is supposed to look like because we are so different. You know, there are some people that think we ought to be like the Puritans, all long-faced and serious who speak in religious language all the time, people that believe that way decided a long time ago that there was no hope for me. They decided I couldn't be saved. Some folks define Christianity in terms of contemplation and study, while others define Christianity in terms of social activism. About the only thing we all agree on is that the life of Christ in us should be shown through actions of love and kindness and patience. Each of us has to decide what our Christian lives are going to look like, and if we will keep a steady pace as we live our life for Christ, we won't be offensive to the cause of Christ. We live in a time of growing pluralism in our country. Some folks still talk about us being a Christian nation But increasingly, we are a Christian nation and a Jewish nation, a Hindu nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, and a nation of people who have no religion at all. This really puts a strain on us Christian reconcilers. One aspect of our Christian faith that people of other religions find particularly offensive is our insistence that only Christians are going to heaven. Only believers in Christ are going to be saved. They find that to be very offensive. Hey, I know some Christian churches that don't think we United Methodists are going to get there. And I know a Baptist pastor who's having trouble with his congregation. And right now he says that none of his church members are going to heaven. And he knows that for a fact, he says. But um, even if you do believe that it is true that only Christians are going to heaven... It does not help the cause of Christ for us to repeat that claim in our day. The problem is that people of other faiths believe that their way is also the only way. And our mutual insistence that we're right and everybody else is wrong is one of the things that's sparking conflict and wars in our world. It is not helping the cause of Christ in our day to preach exclusivity. It offends many. And if we are are aware of this, we can be very careful about it. If we expect them to give serious consideration to our faith, we have to be willing to listen to their faith stories as well. Now, what I say to folks is that all of us humans are in the same boat. Actually, we're not in the boat. The boat sank, and we're all in deep water over our heads. We're all drowning. We need to be saved. And God wants all people saved. And I know without a question that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. He is an absolutely certain life raft. I can speak from personal experience about the fact that salvation through faith in Christ is a sure thing. But beyond that, I'm not going to tell the Almighty what he can and can't do. I'm going to leave that up to God. This is a way that I have found that I can proclaim the love of God to people, hoping that some folks will choose to be followers of Christ without offending them who are of other faith traditions. Now, having said all this, you may not agree with what I just have said. And as always in the Methodist church, you're free to disagree with your pastor. And George, they do at times, don't they? Uh, Yes, our, our church people do. But, uh, but if you do disagree, then I hope you will at least consider what I just said. As we try to find ways to proclaim Christ without being unnecessarily offensive as we do that. Reconcilers see people through God's eyes. They see possibilities, not the past. They live lives that do not offend the cause of Christ. May we all excel in our ministry of Reconciliation. Always remembering that God was in Christ hugging the world to himself. Amen.